Amen. Thank you, worship band, for leading us in praising with our voices this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking uh, over the next few weeks on the model prayer from our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us how to pray. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. Every one of us are on a journey. It began in the womb. And let me say, in the United States, that's not been a very safe place to start, and the state of New York has made it even more dangerous this week. We talked about the sanctity of life last Sunday, and let me encourage you to commit to the following things. And, and Scott, thank you so much for that message last week. But here are three things in light of uh, the, sacred, the sacredness of life that we need to commit to. Number one is pray for life, especially for those who cannot fend for themselves. Number two, live your own life as if it was created in the image of God because it was. And number three, treat others as you would want to be treated because they too have been created in the image of God. But back to that journey. While our journeys are unique, every one of us, there are some commonalities. Uh, we are born following our own path. And, and every parent in here could share a story of thinking when that newborn child comes into our home, we think, okay, I am going to do everything I can to ensure that that child stay on the right path, right? How silly were we? Because just like us, those new children are born predisposed, intent on doing their own thing, living their own way. And you know, some of you are still on your own path, and you've been quite successful for many, many years following your own path. And you may be thinking this morning, I have no need to change my path today, Pastor. Well, well the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is destruction. That's Proverbs 14, 12, a wise saying from Solomon. Some people never, ever leave their own path, and the end of their life is eternal separation from God. Your life, if you're in that boat, your life could be described as living my own path, following my own path. Now, some of you woke up one day and, and you thought, this path is not working. This path is not fun. This path is not productive. It's, it's not sustainable. I can't continue living this way. Or it's not providing me the peace and the joy that, that I long for. It's not fulfilling. It's, it's like a treadmill that goes nowhere. And so you eventually cried out to God. You asked forgiveness for following your own path. You turned your life over to Him to follow His path. You not only found forgiveness and salvation, you found peace and hope, and God gave you a new life, and, and with it, the power to follow His plan for your life. Your life could be described as following God's path as you forsake your own path. Now, some of you are on that path, and you are seeking daily to learn more of God's way. You weren't just baptized as these were this morning and, and then start doing things your own way again. You have, you have continued to follow that. You're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. You have had seasons of 
maturing and you've had seasons of rebellion. But overall, you are attempting to follow God's path and leave your own behind. You're, you're trying to do more of God's will and less of your will. Not because it will make God love you more, because you understand that. No, but because of the gospel. You stop and you think about what God has done for you. He died on the cross to save you of, uh, of your sins, and joy just overwhelms you. You think, my goodness, he did that for me? The creator of God of the universe died because he loved me so much? And then out of joy, you seek to follow God and obey him. Your life could be described as continuing to follow God's path. Now, some of you have realize that God doesn't want you to follow in obedience just to see how good you can be because you realize you can never be good enough on this earth. But rather, He wants your obedience in finding others who are on their own path, who need to forsake their own path and come and follow God's path of forgiveness and salvation for them. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. But I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Go home and read John chapter 10, and you'll find that. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not my own yet. Or they are mine, but, but they're not here yet. Those other sheep, they are individuals not yet saved, not yet following God's path for their life. And God desires that we go find them and share the good news with them. So let me ask you this. Where are you on this journey? Are you still following your own path? Or have you forsaken your path and started following God's path? Or are you continuing to grow in following God's path and finding God's way? Or have you even gone further and you are out there actively looking for others who need to find God's way in their life. Pretend for a minute that you are one of the 12 disciples, one of the men that Jesus had called to leave fishing nets, some of them, tax office, one of them, medical practice, one of them, family, religious tradition, and follow him. First of all, it would take quite a remarkable man to get 12 men that diverse to all leave what they know and go and follow him into the unknown. But there was quite a buzz around this man named Jesus. For the shock jock prophet of the New Testament times had already called him out. The man I describe as a shock jock prophet was John the Baptist. And you may be thinking, preacher, that's a little harsh for John the Baptist. Maybe it's even outright sacrilegious. But remember, he dressed to be noticed. Camel's hair robe and leather belt. If his dress was unremarkable, well then Matthew would not have remarked about it. He ate grasshoppers and wild honey. And if that was a common diet, then why would Matthew... Stop and tell us what kind of diet that he had. You see, John the Baptist was a shock jock prophet, not just for how he looked, but also for what he said when addressing the most religious of his time. All right, he wasn't out there with a bunch of heathen. He wasn't in a bar scene somewhere. He's dressing, addressing the most religious of his time, and he didn't brag on them for his good works, their good works. He threw some shade on their attitude and their heart. He called them nothing less than a brood of vipers. And he questioned the integrity of their heritage. 
let there be no confusion here. John the Baptist got people's attention, and this same shock jock was throwing his attention on Jesus. John said, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. When Jesus came to him and said, baptize me, John said, no, 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 you are the one who should baptize me. So it's in this context that Jesus chooses 12 men to follow him and begins his, his preaching for people to repent from their sins because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right there. So with a message ready to spread around the world and 12 men ready to have their lives transformed and, and prepared for ministry, to carry on the ministry Jesus would give them, Jesus begins his ministry. And he teaches in various synagogues. And he healed people. Matthew describes it this way, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so Jesus' fame, you can imagine, it begins to, to swell. I mean, here you, you have one of the most famous guys, John the Baptist, pointing everybody to listen to him and watch him and uh, just talking about him like no one else. And then you have this guy healing every kind of disease and affliction. And so they start bringing people to him. And the Bible says he, he healed them, uh, people in pain, people oppressed by a demon, people experiencing seizures, paralytics, every disease, Jesus healed them. And the crowds grow, and Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. They've never heard anything like that. Blessed are those who are, are poor. And then he tells the crowd that they are salt and light, but salt is not good unless it's spread around, and light is worthless unless you take the cover off of it so it can shine so people can see. And then he speaks against murder, and he calls out adulterers, even those whose adultery is simply in their heart. And he speaks against divorce, and he speaks out against lying, and he tells us to do more. Don't just do what you're required to do. He says do more than you're required to do. Go the second mile, and uh, he commands us to love, oh yes, even our enemies. So imagine you're there listening to Jesus say all of this, and you realize he is speaking with some authority you've never witnessed before, and these teachings you just can't ignore. But you also know these are teachings that are going to be very difficult to live out because you know your own heart. You know your own predisposition. You know your own will. You know you've tried to be better than you are, and you failed over and over again. And so you notice that this man, Jesus, you've been watching him. He's teaching these difficult things, and, and you realize he's walking the talk. In fact, he's walking the talk perfectly you can't find anything that he's failed at and, and you notice he spends significant time in prayer talking to God uh, you sense that this time with God might be a key for his power to do what God wants him to do and and not do his own will you sense that this time with God is very special and empowering it's enabled him to live a perfect life you want to know more about Jesus' time with God. And you know what? The disciples wanted to as well. And, and they said, Lord, teach us 
how to pray. And Jesus said, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debtors as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to be looking at this teaching of Jesus to us. Showing us how to talk to God, have a, how to have a conversation with God over the next few weeks. And this morning I want to begin talking about the first, only the first four words of this beautiful prayer. Our Father in heaven. In this opening phrase, Jesus taught the disciples about the parenthood of God. Notice first that Jesus begins with the word O-U-R. Our Father in heaven. We are to pray to our Father in heaven. Our indicates possession, and it implies that more than one has this relationship to God as Father. You see, God is my Father, and God is your Father. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.16, I mean 4.6, One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all all the bible teaches us that the creator god of heaven is one god the one god for all of us there is not a god for me and another god for you there is not a a god for american believers and another god for japanese believers or russian believers or chinese believers or mexican believers or, or or believers from thailand no there is one god and he is all he is a god for all and this oneness of god has implications for us I mean, we have a selfish tendency. I think any of us who are honest and transparent would say, yes, I I tend to be selfish many times. God, this is what I need. God, this is what I want. This is what I desire. Father, this is the blessing that I think uh, would be best for me right now. This is the help I should receive. Now, it's perfectly natural. It's fine. And it's important for us to talk to God about yourself and about your personal relationship with God. Please, please, get up close and personal. Get transparent and open with God about your own life. I want you to do that. At the same time, Jesus is reminding us that this teaching that my, my God is your God, that your God is my God, and God is concerned about all of us together. We are His children, His chosen, His elect, His people. He's concerned not just about us singularly, but about us, plural. How does this apply to my prayers? Well, let me share a story with you from my childhood. It involves my earthly father and, and my brother farming was a cross between a hobby and a second job for my, dry, my dad. He grew up on a farm and enjoyed staying in touch with the farm. And it provided some extra income for the family beyond what he earned as an engineer. And Saturdays from late spring through the summer, we often dedicated to, to farming. Now, my brother and I would hop in the truck and, and head to my grandmother's farm with dad. And dad would take us to maybe a garden or a field of corn and, and he would you know, instruct us to chop out weeds. And so I'd grab a hoe, and I'd start in, in my row, and my brother would start in, in another row. And, and if there were 16 rows, I could do math, 
eight rows for me and eight for my brother, right? And, and you get this. So I'd finish my eight rows, prop my hoe up against the tree, go back to Dad, find him on a tractor, you know, in the back 40 somewhere, and hoping that he still had some stuff to do because that meant that I could go splash in the creek or climb in the barn or explore the old abandoned farmhouse for hidden treasures. And I enjoyed doing those things. And I, I'd go to Dad and I'd say, I'm done. And he'd say, where's your brother? And I said, you know, I'd kind of laugh under my breath a little bit and just shake my head and say, man, he's still on row number three. And, uh, you know, he's probably going to have to do those three over again. He hadn't done very well, you know, to try to make it look even better for me. And, and my dad would look at me, and I didn't like what he'd say. He'd say, y'all aren't done. Oh, no, I, I finished my eight rows. No, y'all aren't done. And I realized I always go back and work until we were done. It just never played out that way. Dad would say, y'all aren't done. You know, I'm obviously much older now, and, and God still must remind me from time to time that the work he gave us to do is not finished. The work God gave us, you and me, to do is not finished. It, it's not for us to say, I've done my part. You know, I've, I've taught Sunday school for 30 years, it's time for the younger folks to start doing that. I've rocked babies in the nursery for 40 years. It's time for somebody else to do that. I, I served my three-year term as a deacon. It's, it's time for someone else to deke. You know, I listen, God is calling us to work. While it's still light and while we still have days in our life, that's why he said work while it is still day. The night is coming when no man can work. God is interested in you and I working together until there is no one that hasn't heard the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and can save you from your sins. Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven. You know, He also taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven. Emphasis on the word Father. God is a Father. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. John tells us that we are God's children. And I can't help but smile when I say that. God is a Father to us. The King of Kings, who, who happens to also be my dad. The Lord of Lords of my life, but I can also call Him Father the creator God of the universe who is responsible for every star in the sky, every bird in the air, every creature on the earth, and every creature in the ocean. This same awesome God is my father, my daddy. Uh, this will date me. And it seems more and more that I say things that some of you look at me and say, I have no frame of reference, preacher. Where's that coming from? But some of you will remember the TV commercial, the 7-Up TV commercial, back in the 80s boxing champ sugar ray leonard is in the gym and he's working out and his son sugar ray jr is working out just swing by swing step by step move by move in the gym they're both sweating and at the end of the work you know they're just sitting close to each other enjoying that seven up and some kids walk by about to, uh, junior's age and they say wow there's the champ and Sugar Ray looks up at uh, Leonard Jr., the little one, looks up at the camera and says, Nah, he's just my dad. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And so 
the Bible describes God as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's Prince of Peace. He's the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Messiah, Jehovah, God Most High. He's the God who sees. He's the God Almighty. He's the God who provides. He's the God who heals. And I could go on. Ancient of days, an anointed one, the God who gave you birth, the God of knowledge, the God Most High, everlasting Father, Creator, the self-existent one, the Lord my Shepherd. There are not enough words to describe how great God is. And added to that, the Bible also calls him Abba. Abba. It's the Aramaic word meaning daddy. It's not the more formal word meaning father. It means daddy. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, our father, not only are we being invited to speak to the God, the creator God of the universe, we are, inc we are encouraged to approach him and address him as dad. And Jesus wants to, us to see God as our father. And then he asks this question in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. What man among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? What father? Is there any father in this room that would give his little infant a rock? When that child needed nourishment? Is there, is there anyone who would give their, their toddler a snake instead of a piece of fish? And so Jesus said, if you being evil, he's talking to us. He said, well, I'm not evil. Well, compared to God, are we not? We've already talked about that, how selfish we can be even though we want to do better. So it, Jesus said, if you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven? You see, God wants you to ask. Jesus said we don't have because we don't ask. He wants us to ask. You want your child to ask? You enjoy giving good things to your children. And so does God because he's our Father. God is our Father, yours and mine. God is our Father the one who wants to give us good things. And, and then God is also our Father in heaven. Emphasis on the word heaven. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, it says, For in him we live and move and exist. In him we live. In him we move. In him we exist. We exist because of God. Without God, we would not exist. We continue to exist today in this moment because of God. And whenever God chooses, we will cease to exist on this earth. Our Father in heaven is the sovereign God of the universe. And so I want to close looking at just a few of His attributes that we see. Because indeed He is the sovereign God of the universe. Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. Am I a God? who is only near. This is the Lord's declaration. And not a God who is far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places where I cannot see him? The Lord's declaration. Do I not feel the heavens and the earth? The Lord's declaration. This verse points to the omnipresence of God. 
one of the lessons of the Old Testament Jonah is that you can run as fast as you can, hop on a boat, head in the exact opposite direction. God is telling you to go. You can wind up in a storm that makes seaworthy sailors cry like a baby. You can jump off the boat, be swallowed by a big fish, and find yourself at the bottom of the ocean, and God is there. There is no hiding from God. And the good news is this, believer, there is also no getting lost from God. I mean, we may fear there is no hiding from God, but is it not wonderful, comforting news that we cannot get lost from God? He is everywhere. In other words, you'll never find yourself in a position that God isn't right there with you. God is omnipresent. God is also omnipotent. Isaiah 44 verse 24 reads, This is what the Lord, your Redeemer who formed you from the womb, says, I am Yahweh, who made everything, who stretched out the heavens by myself and alone spread out the earth. Isaiah is teaching us that God is omnipotent. Now this means two things. First, there is nothing God cannot do that is consistent with His character. Uh, for instance, He cannot do something that is unloving because He is loving. He, he can't do something that is unjust because He is just. He cannot lie because He is the truth. But second, He is completely capable of doing everything and anything that needs to be done to carry out His perfect, just, loving good will god's omnipotence like his omnipresence is both frightening and comforting it's frightening that nothing can stop him from executing his will uh, when we're going against his will it, it is frightening to know that there is nothing that can stop his will but it's comforting in that nothing can stop him from doing exactly what is best for me God is omnipresent. You will never be outside His reach. God is omnipotent. You will never need anything that He cannot provide. And God is omniscient. Psalm 147 verses 4 and 5 says, He counts the number of the stars and He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. My father, I've already talked about him a little bit. He's a jack of all trades. He, he was an electrical engineer by profession. He grew up learning to farm and did that on the side. He did all his own maintenance and repair work on tractors. He completely overhauled the, the family car. I remember when I was a child, just amazed at him taking that thing apart and setting it on a workbench. And, you know, I mean, he, he, he did everything on that car. It was, I couldn't believe it. He, he built a barn out of logs that he cut himself he built his own house when i was a teenager he, re he repaired tvs as a second job and with all of those skills there was a time that i thought my father could do anything i mean if i had a toy it needed repaired as a kid i didn't go to the store and buy another toy took it to dad and he repaired it and then one day i eventually learned that my dad couldn't do everything he didn't know everything and it was both a sad day and a happy day for me happy because at that point I realized that you know I had a chance to be like my dad because he wasn't perfect but our God 
is perfect in his knowledge. He placed every star in the sky. He created it, put it where he wanted it. And he knows every star by name. You know, I know some very strong people whose weakness is not muscular but mental. They have the skill and they have the power to do incredible things, but they don't have the mind to guide their own strength. I know some people who seem to be in a lot of places. They show up. They're Johnny on the spot, but they don't have the understanding to be effective where they are right now. But our Father in heaven has the power to do everything that needs to be done, and He will never be absent when something needs to be done, and He will always know exactly what needs to be done. And so Jesus He teaches us to begin our prayer, our Father in heaven. What a beautiful salutation. There is more to the prayer than this, and we're going to talk about it, but this is a perfect place to start. We are invited to have a conversation with the God who created everything, who invites us to call him Father, and he's a Father to all of us who call on his name.